Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Scramble. I'm Shiel Kapadia coming to you on the Ringer NFL feed every Thursday with a guest. Today, my guest is my friend, the Ringers, very own Lindsay Jones. And I'm glad I have Lindsay on today because I just got back from a first grade school visitation. Lindsay, I'm not made out to be in a first grade classroom. Like they did a story. It got to the end and I'm like, I wasn't paying attention at all. I have no idea what oh, happened no. to the turkey. Those little seats, like I can't get in and out of those little seats. My daughter's saying, here's the glue. Do I look like a man who knows how to use a glue stick? I mean, I'm like, I was lost in there for an hour. I know you've got a first grade visitation coming up. I think you'll be better adjusted than I am. Yeah, I've done a couple of volunteer days and I chaperoned a first grade field trip this year, which was... Um, wild. Um, God bless those teachers, man. I was, yes. I like needed to nap for hours when I got back from chaperoning a first grade field trip. But yeah, we're having Thanksgiving lunch at my daughter's school. So it'll be uh, all the kids and cafeteria style turkey and gravy. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be fun. There you go. You can report back. I think you'll do better than I did. I was, just, yeah. And I'm with you on the teachers. Like you're in there for 45 minutes and you're like, oh my God, they do this every single day with these kids are not paying attention and talking. So uh, thank you. Shout out, shout out to all the teachers. Well, not to make this just a first grade podcast, but um, our school is doing like a very heavy writing emphasis school-wide. And so they're learning about writing and they're doing narrative writing and opinion writing. Um, and the, Lena's working on uh, information writing right now, which is like writing about facts and stuff. So um, as an editor or somebody who's transitioning to becoming an editor, it's been it's been really eye-opening. So I feel like a lot of the skills that uh, she's learning, I'm uh, passing on to, That's to right. my colleagues they get, here. They got to have you in there. They got to <laughs> have you the in there as a so. special uh, guest. So all right. First, first grade, uh, I'm out of the first grade classroom. 
I'm behind the mic with Lindsay. We're going to keep it simple today. I was thinking, what should we do today? And it's week 11. There's like eight to 10 teams that are quickly, you know, becoming irrelevant, but that might not mean that they're not interesting. There's like eight teams that are probably, you know, already thinking about playoff matchups. And then there's this group in between. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pick the three people we each think are the most interesting for the remaining eight weeks of the NFL season. That, that's all the direction it was. It could be players, coaches, GMs, mascots, whatever you want to do. Uh, the three most interesting people, the rest of the way, they might have jobs on the line. It might be players with their legacies, whatever. So that's what we're going to do. I think it's going to be fun because I was like, you know what? These are some people that maybe I haven't talked about uh, a lot on here. Maybe they're not the, the most notable people. Maybe some of them are. And so we'll get a chance to talk to them here and then we'll finish with the mailbag. You're the guest. So you start us off. Who do you have as one of your most interesting people for the final eight weeks? Okay, well, I don't think I'm going to go too far off the grid here. Unfortunately, I think most of my picks are guys that we've already kind of been talking about because I think the people who have so much at stake, it's because we've been talking about them already a lot. Like, I don't have a ton of yeah. dark horses here. But um, the first guy that I have is Josh Allen. And I have him on my list because uh, he was my preseason MVP pick. He was still my midseason MVP pick reluctantly. Um, and, you know, I this to me really felt like this was his first real MVP chance this season. And he was living up to that through the first six, seven weeks of the season. The last couple weeks, we've had the elbow. And now we've had a couple games where you start going, oh, we're seeing kind of that bad, that bad version of Josh Allen now. So I think this race is far from over in terms of the MVP race. Um, so he can get back in it. But there's so much at stake now for him, for the Bills, to survive this midseason lull that they're in. And, you know, he's had a negative EPA the last two games, back-to-back um, -back games, multiple interceptions. And it's not just that he's throwing interceptions. He's committing turnovers in those really high-leverage critical situations that are now costing his team games. And we know that he is capable of taking this team on his back, kind of single-handedly winning games. And we need to see that version of Josh Allen over the next, you know, six to eight weeks of the year. And we might get a snow game this weekend, right? I don't know if it's going to snow on Sunday or it yeah. might snow before. All the questions right now There's going to be like, a lot of snow to get into the stadium, Yeah, I like, guess. can the Browns get there? Could the Bills get out if they wanted to move the game? Um, so, yeah, I mean, the the conditions aren't necessarily setting up great for Josh yeah. Allen to, you know, all of a sudden throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns. But I just think this is, a, if, if he is that guy that so many of us believed that he was going to be this year, this is his time for him to prove it. Yeah, I, I think it would be fun to watch them play. And I love the snow games. It would be uh, fun to watch that. But I'm with you. I mean, certainly he's got, you know, once they they made that Von Miller trade and it was like, all right, it's clear. They're they're saying, let's go win the Super Bowl right now. And Von Miller has been uh, fantastic for them. And they've had some ups and downs. And yeah, he's had sort of these head-scratching mistakes the last couple of weeks, like you mentioned, in high-leverage situations in the red zone where you're going, what is going on here? And then it's like the other you know, 35, 40 times he touches the ball. You're like, all right, that's the guy who, like you said, just yeah. puts the team on his back, whether he's running, whether he's throwing. So I still have faith in the Bills. I feel like the Bills are going to be there at the end. Like you said, the midseason predictions we had to make. I'm like, I, I had them winning the Super Bowl before the season. I'm not coming off of that. I think just the way he plays, like he doesn't have a second 
you know, another dial where it's like, oh, I have this kind of serious, whether it's serious or not, elbow injury. I'll I'll play a little bit differently this week. <laughs> nope, he's yeah. he's trying to punch the ball out of the defensive back's hand after an interception. So I'm just kind of like, that's the guy you're gonna win or lose with. I if you're a Bills fan, you're like, I'll take this guy every week. He's got the high ceiling. And to me, it's not even like the mistakes, he can cut those down a little bit, but I feel like his playing style is more, I'm going to make some of these mistakes, but don't worry, on the other plays, I'm going to make up for it. And in the end, when you balance it all out, there's going to be way more good than bad. So uh, I think that Bill's team, they're going to get a little healthier, I think, down the stretch. Uh, Tredavious White, you would assume, would come back at some point. Some of their guys on defense should come back. And I think offensively, even last year, you know, like I was thinking about this last year, they had little lulls too yeah. during the season. Like I think at the end of the year, they were 10th in offensive DVOA. And then the playoffs, they're just like, they looked unstoppable. They looked like the highest ceiling offense you could ever see. And so I feel like they sort of know what it takes to get out of this and that uh, they're going to be okay. But that's a good one. Cause when the expectations are so high, I mean, listen to the conversation we're having MVP Super Bowl, yeah. like those are the expectations. If you get to the divisional round, if you lose in the championship round, you're probably going to be a little disappointed if you're a Bills fan. So that's a good one to start us off. All right, I'm going with another quarterback here. And this was a huge storyline going into the season. And that's Lamar Jackson, his contract, right? Yeah. He he grabbed the guy's sign. What did it say? Pay the man or whatever. The one, uh, yeah. the one game said, there. I think it also said to pay Rashad Bateman, which is... <laughs> a conversation for another time. But yeah, he's, oh, he's still that. paying attention. It said um, it had like number seven and number eight, I think, on the sign. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. He's not playing anymore. They don't have to worry about paying him. Lamar Jackson bet on himself, and you're looking at this team. They're third in offensive DVOA, which is only behind the Chiefs and the Dolphins. And like I was thinking, take other quarterbacks and put them into that situation. And how many quarterbacks are leading a top five offense right now? Like it's a very short list. It might be Mahomes, Allen, and Lamar Jackson. I mean, you, you could certainly throw a couple guys in there in the conversation, but like their leading receivers, Mark Andrews, very good player. Then it's Devin DuVernay, Rashad Bateman, who you mentioned is out for the season, Isaiah Likely, and Demarcus Robinson. And yet this is their best offense since that 2019 uh, Super Bowl season. And so if you're Lamar Jackson, this is actually turning out pretty good for you in terms of the contract. I mean, the ceiling is so high. Like if they make the AFC championship, if he gets in the MVP conversation, if they get to the Super Bowl, now it's forget that Kyler Murray contract. Now it's, yeah, I'm going to be the highest mm -hmm. paid player in the NFL. And so he's only 26 years old. He's got so much at stake personally. And if you look at it, uh, I, I like this site in predictable. It looks at like the betting markets and it shows you kind of strength of schedule based on what the betting markets are saying. They have the Ravens with the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL. So they're kind of an under the radar sleepery team where they're six and three. Uh, they're in first place in the AFC North and they've got this easy schedule coming up. So I, I think Lamar is just a very interesting, I mean, the Lamar debates usually get out of hand very quickly because I feel like they go to extremes uh, right away where you can't have a nuanced conversation about it. But if you're looking at guys who just have a lot to gain here and 
the floor is probably already pretty high. I mean, if he's, if he's average the rest of the way, he still has the case to be uh, paid as a top quarterback. But man, if he if he just goes off in the second half of the season, then it's a totally different conversation we're having. And by the way, they haven't had playoff success with Lamar Jackson. They haven't gotten past the divisional round. So that's the other thing. Like if you can take that next step as a team, then it's a different conversation around the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and I see it's going to be so interesting because they, when we talk about his contract, and how those negotiations are going to go. Because there were negotiations somewhat throughout last season. Yeah. But Lamar Jackson is representing himself. Um, this is not going to be a traditional process. Um, by all of the reporting that was coming out of Baltimore and some of the national outlets over the offseason was that Baltimore kept making offers and they were not necessarily low ball offers, but not in that range of being like the top paid player. There's a lot of stuff going on about guarantees and, you know, how much of that contract is going to be guaranteed, those sorts of things. And I mean, you're absolutely right that he has bet on himself. So um, in terms of, you know, it's, it's not totally unsimilar to what Dak Prescott has done in the past where, you know, pushing, you know, pushing his deal out. Right. I'm going to be so interested to see what the Ravens are going to do with their franchise tag situation if this gets to a situation where it becomes contentious with the guy who is now very much, very beloved, very much now the face of your franchise, if you go that route, they now have some complicated contract stuff now with Rokon Smith. Would they, could they get uh, Lamar's deal done in time that they could franchise tag Roquan Smith? Would they tag Roquan and hope that they can get it done with Lamar? It's going to be fascinating. And, you know, those of us kind of in our in our chairs, right? We we really respect Eric DaCosta. He gets so much praise for the way that team is built and run and their finances. This is a challenge unlike anything they have faced. So it is going to be wild to see what goes on there. Yeah, you're right. It's like these situations, they don't get contentious until all of a sudden snap of the fingers and there's a report about something and you're going, all right, uh, well, now something has to happen one way or the other. But you're right. I mean, are they going to franchise tag him after the season going into next year? Are they going to, wh what's his mindset? I mean, really, you know, he can, I, there's some criticism about, right, should he have had an agent or not? I mean, this is an interest. If you want to maximize kind of your earnings as a 26-year-old quarterback with an MVP under their belt, you're kind of not incentivized to take a deal that's below really like the top, the top quarterback deal in the NFL. Like they can tag him two times. And what's interesting about Lamar is how young he is. I mean, they yeah. can tag him twice and he'll be 28 years old, 28 year old Lamar Jackson going on the open market. We've never seen a quarterback do that. What, what would that even be worth? I mean, like Kirk Cousins uh, is the, you know, is the closest comparison or if you want to look at the Deshaun Watson thing, which is different. And I think the Watson thing did play a role in this. I mean, if you're Lamar and you're like, wait a minute, what did he get? And I don't get, what he got and you know look at like i've been uh i've been kind of a model citizen in the face of the franchise and a great teammate and all this stuff so you can kind of see where he's coming from so uh, yeah i think lamar is definitely going to be interesting all right who do you have for number two on your list all right i'll go a non-quarterback for a second okay. just to shake things up but it is a guy that we've been talking about here and i'm going with jim ursay for multiple reasons here Ooh. um he has already been very volatile, right? I mean, he has already changed <laughs> yes. the course of his own franchise in terms of uh, instituting a quarterback change, a head coaching change, uh, 
the most wild interim head coaching change that we've probably ever seen. Now back switching head coach again. So who knows what this guy is going to do? I think um, watching what is going to happen with the Colts, what's going to happen with Chris Ballard, um, their future draft situation. This is a guy, an owner, who has his hands involved in his team more than just about any owner does with any other team right now. Um, He is going to tell us what he thinks. He's going to tell us what he feels. He's going to say it on um, press conferences, on tarmacs. He's going to say it on Twitter. So we're going to be watching. The other reason that I'm putting Jim Irsay is because he has been the first owner, and we've talked about this before on the podcast network, on TheRinger.com. He was the first guy to actually come out publicly on the record against Dan Snyder. And he's not backing down from that stuff. So he is very much positioning himself as a new um, kind of like leader in this space. And look, he's not as powerful as like Jerry Jones or Robert Kraft. But he is also, but he is powerful, right? Like he is, um, you know, he does have sway in that room. And the fact that at the owner's meetings about a month ago, Roger Goodell said, you guys need to be quiet. You guys need to not say anything. And Jim Irsay is like, I don't care, man. I'm going to I'm gonna go talk to the Washington Post. I'm going to talk about this. Um, as we come up to a potential second sale of a team within a calendar year, Jim Irsay mm-hmm. is going to have a major, major hand in the future of kind of where the NFL goes now. Uh, and it's so that so that's why I'm putting him. I think there's a couple other owners who might be, could be in that mix, but he's my top one. That's a good one because yeah, he's been like, it's it's so rare for an owner to be in the news this much during an actual season. You know, like like you mentioned it, the Dan Snyder thing, everyone's going, all right, finally, an owner speaking out about what I think a lot of people, I mean, I I don't not there's consensus on nothing, but I don't know if there's like a group out there that's pro Daniel Snyder. I if there is, I don't know who it is. I, I know it's not commanders fans, uh, you know, me, media members who are uh, allowed it's like, to it is voice his their attorneys. As long as the checks are clearing and literally that's it. The people who are getting paid by him and that's it. Yeah, that's it. And so I think everyone looked at Ursay when he when he spoke out about Snyder and we're like, all right, finally, someone with the guts to kind of do this, the the uh, old boys club, you know, somebody who can speak out about what should actually happen. And so he got credit for that. And then, but as a team owner, with the way he's running his football team, it's, it's it's like you said. I mean, it really feels like just sort of an irrational fan who's like, all right, Ryan's stinking it up. Hey, let's put Ellinger out there. He was good in the preseason. All right, Ellinger's bad. Let's get rid of the offensive coordinator. All right, the offensive coordinator's gone. Frank Reich, you're out of here. Hey, uh, you know, Jeff Saturday, like I, you know, you're, you're my buddy. Uh, you played for the team. You're a likable guy. Why don't you come on in here? And Saturday won the first game. Let's see if it's going to last. I don't think it's going to last. But yeah, he could go in any direction. I mean, he answered the question about Ballard at the press conference and you just couldn't put anything into it. Cause like, what's he going to say in that spot? I mean, the previous week he said Frank Reich was safe. And so uh, if this is a team with a high draft pick and he looks at it and says, all right, we just need to go in a totally different direction. Then who knows what the rest of their season could be like, what their off season could be like. And so he's uh he's a good one who was not on my, uh, not on my list. I wasn't uh, thinking about him, but, but he certainly makes sense. All right. I went more boring with a quarterback, but I think this is a good one. I'm going with Derek Carr. I mean, his 
his reaction, yeah. our, our friend Tashawn Reed wrote about it well on The Athletic right after the game. I mean, his emotions, his raw emotions during that press conference after their loss last week to the Colts, where it felt like you know, kind of what's going on here. This isn't just like a typical quarterback reaction uh, after a loss. And I know he was saying about what players kind of put their bodies through just to get ready for Sunday. And the result is disappointing. Like he's been one of these guys that it really feels like he has a loyalty to the organization he plays for, you know, like anytime there's been any questions about, uh, is he going to get traded? Is he going to go somewhere else? Like he's been pretty outspoken. No, like this is my team. Uh, this, this is the team I've been with. Like, so you don't you something you don't usually hear from professional athletes. Well, the season's been a flat out disaster. I mean, they're they're two and seven. They go all in with the Devontae Adams trade, the Chandler Jones signing. They're saying we're not rebuilding here. We're gonna go all in with Josh McDaniels. And they've been one of the worst teams in the NFL. Only the Texans have fewer wins than the Raiders. They'd have the they'd have the second overall pick in the draft if the season ended today, which it which is kind of nuts. When you think about it. And so the offense hasn't been like, if you look at it statistically, it's been kind of more mediocre than terrible. The defense has been really bad, but they've blown, I think, three games where they've been up by 17 points. They're 0-6 in one-score games. And so I was thinking about it. If there's one quarterback I had to pick to be in sort of the news cycle this offseason about, hey, you know, teams X, Y, and Z are looking to trade for a veteran. Who's it going to be? What, you know, it was Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz and Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson. This offseason, I think it would be Derek Carr. I mean, it just feels like Josh McDaniels is not going to point the finger at himself and say, I didn't do a good job and we're going to run it back and I'm going to be a better coach next year. I think they're they're most likely going to make a move. But having said that, there's eight games left. And so like how Carr performs, how the locker room reacts to McDaniels, uh, the, the team success or lack of success, like it can still go in a number of different directions. They're not going to make the playoffs, but let's say, you know, Carr lights it up in the second half of the season. Then do the Raiders say, okay, well, you know what? We just needed some time and we turned our season around. Do other teams say, wow, he was really good in the second half of the season. We will give up a first round pick and something else to trade for Derek Carr. What does, uh, you know, we talked about Jim Mersey, Mark Davis. I mean, what, what is his, how, what does he want to do after the season? Is he going to say, all right, stick with McDaniels. Let's trade Carr. If they have a top four pick, they could draft a quarterback. Tom, Tom Brady. I don't know what's going to happen to Tom Brady. I don't know if he's on your list or not on your list, but he's certainly interesting. I don't know if he's done after the season or wants to play uh, somewhere else. And if they trade Carr, do they trade Devontae Adams? Like, I'm just rambling here, but there's like yeah. 10 different paths the Raiders could take depending on Derek Carr and what happens kind of in the next eight weeks here. Yeah, he's really, really interesting to me. Uh, and I have Josh McDaniels on kind of my my list here. So we can kind of yeah. like fold Josh McDaniels in here as well because he's been given assurances. The reporting out of Las Vegas this week is that he's been given assurances from uh, Mark Davis that he'll be back in 2023, that they're not ready to blow this whole thing up. The interesting part with there, I mean, there's a bunch of interesting things there, but one of them is that him and Dave Ziegler came in together. They were kind of like a package deal. So I don't think Mark Davis wants to blow this whole thing up, but like, could you remove the coach, but not the GM who came in together? Derek Carr feels like the one piece that could be removed from that. And he has been through some stuff. I'm not going to curse. He's been through some stuff there with that franchise um, from all yeah. of the head coaching changes. I mean, Dennis Allen was the head coach who initially started him, right? And then Dennis Allen ended oh up getting gosh, fired. Yeah. I mean, he has been through so many coaching changes. He has been through a franchise move. He was 
he's been through Antonio Brown getting into a fight with his general manager. He's been through the team trading away Khalil Mack, his best friend in the NFL. You know, he's, um, you know, he's been last year after the John Gruden, after John Gruden got fired, Derek really had to kind of like be the grown up in that locker room too. He had to shoulder so much of like the emotional burden of keeping that locker room together, speaking for the team, being being like kind of the face of all this. So like he's been through a lot. So I get when he gets up there in the middle of this season, that's com- completely gone off the rails, why it's just kind of coming out. He's had to hold it together for a, a really long time through yeah. a lot of really, really bad stuff. And and this is what Tashawn Reed at The Athletic wrote that, that you mentioned that I thought was really important. Like it's almost like Derek can see that this is going to be the end for him, that like he's yes. going to be the guy who just based on the money. I mean, look at the contract. We talked about this a bunch before the season. He got that extension, but it's funny money. He has no guaranteed money left on that deal after this year. So it would be very easy for the Raiders to move on from him. And he's so loyal. Like, he is a Raider, right? Like, he loves that organization. But I do wonder if, like, he would be in demand. There would be teams who would want him. Um, yes. He would be a much better attractive option on the free agent or on the either free agent market if the Raiders just pulled that plug or trade market than somebody like Carson Wentz was last year, right? I mean, I would much rather have Derek Carr than yeah. Carson Wentz. I'd probably rather have Derek Carr than Russell Wilson right now. I don't think I would have said that six months ago, but I do wonder if there's a little bit like he's so in it right now. You know, he's so in it, but it's like, not to say that he would be last year's Matthew Stafford, but like, you know, maybe maybe it would be good to go somewhere else and like get out of that Raiders mess, you know, get somewhere else, go somewhere that really wants you, that maybe uh, just different scenery, fresh start, like maybe it could end up being a really good thing for him um, after this season. That said, I don't know how they kind of pull out of this, especially without Darren Waller, without Hunter Renfro for an extended period of time. Both of those guys are on IR right now. It doesn't feel like Josh McDaniels has answers. Uh, He didn't really have the answers when he had the full complement of offensive players. I don't think he has them now when it's just Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. Um, They're coming to Denver this week. Josh is probably going to get booed a little bit, I'm guessing, uh, his his return as a head coach to uh, to Denver, even though it's been a minute. People haven't forgotten. We've got very long memories here in the city. Um, I think they could win that game, though. They've already beaten the Broncos once. So that could uh, be a nice little uplifting moment if they can come in here and win in Denver. Yeah. What did Nathaniel Hackett say? Someone's got to win, right? Wasn't that his quote? I mean, it doesn't have to. I can show him the parts of That's the rule true. book about ties. but um, Nine, nine tie or something. Yeah, that would be shocking. Oof. I'm with you. I mean, it would be surprising if they turn their season around in a meaningful way. If I, I think Bill Barnwell was reading him today and was saying even their offensive numbers are really like reliant on third and fourth down success, which we know is harder to sustain than uh, the early down. So even when you dig deeper into the numbers, it's like, all right, they're unlucky here, but they're kind of lucky here. They're probably sort of where they should be. And uh, I'm with you. I think there would be, a. Mo- I mean, we've seen with Derek Carr that it's kind of, situational, you know, the, the like if he has a good offensive line and good weapons, he can really quarterback a an efficient offense. And, you know, earlier in his career, not even earlier, like two, three years ago, he, he would take the check downs and wouldn't push it downfield. But he kind of changed that and evolved a little bit. And even last year uh, and the year before, I think you saw him push the ball downfield a little bit more. So, yeah, if you're a team out there who feels like you have the pieces in place, I mean, I'm just thinking off the a Detroit Lions. Let's say they don't trade, uh, you know, or they don't draft a quarterback. Like 
they've got interesting pieces in place where you could say, yeah, he could probably be successful on a team like that, the New York Jets, who we may or may not be getting to uh, later in this podcast, are another team. You know, they've got good sort of pieces around the quarterback. Well, do they have the quarterback? And those teams, there's always more of them than you think. By the time we get to February, you know, you mentioned it with Carson Wentz. Like, no one would have thought Carson Wentz would have netted a second and a potential second or third, and that's what the Colts got for him even after the whole league knew that the owner was not going to allow him back in the building. It didn't matter. They still got that for him. So it only takes one team. So, yeah, I think, you know, even Carr, not only the play, but the comments, the post game, like all of a sudden now he's like, all right, keep your eye on this guy the rest of the way and see how he's reacting. All right. Who do you have for your third? That's your third, right? Yeah. So this is my last guy. Um, Tua Tagovailoa. He's like the Mm. most interesting guy in the NFL to me (laughs) right now. And I'm not quite ready to like have the Tua MVP type of conversation. Um, Mostly because like Patrick Mahomes is a human being in phenomenal football player who exists on this planet. Maybe not even a human being. But um, as long as Patrick Mahomes is doing Patrick Mahomes things, and I think he's going to for this year, it's hard to like really have a serious conversation about some of these other more of like the up-and-coming fringe QBs in that discussion. That said, there is nobody playing quarterback right now outside of Patrick Mahomes better than Tua. And it is for real. These numbers are not fluky. And I am so interested to see where the Dolphins' offense goes, and specifically Tua goes, over the second half of the season. Um, it's just been wild, the turnaround that he has had. Um, narratively, the way that the entire NFL public views him, um, you know, the college football, you know, contingent is yeah, kind of back. Right. I'm like, we always loved this guy. What you guys didn't believe us. And here he is. <laughs> you know, the discourse has been really, really interesting because so often these young quarterbacks, if the start of their career just like doesn't go the way that it we all intended, you know, imagined it would or they intended it that it was going to for injuries and coaching changes or whatever. It's so hard to get out of that. Right. To see a guy in his third year kind of take this leap where you've had these, you know, so much turmoil through the start of his career. I mean, his organization was trying to get rid of him. And now it's like, you know, this is the guy we're going to build around. Yeah. So um, I just, I love it for him. It's been really fun to watch um, the his relationship with Mike McDaniel. He was mic'd up this week. Did you see, uh, did you see the mic, see the, the, the Tua mic'd up? Um, it was just like very like heartwarming just to like watch kind of just the way that these two guys interact <laughs> on the sideline. And, you know, we've, we've kind of read about it throughout the, the the season. Katie Baker did a really good profile on Tua this summer um, for The Ringer, where, you know, really kind of got into like that relationship and the type of coaching that McDaniel's giving Tua that he's never really had before in his life. Um, kind of a lot of like positive, you know, uh, he's just kind of surrounded by positivity. Um, yeah. There was this really cute scene where he was, they were trying to decide a play and Tua was like, I like whatever play you think will get us the best chance to score a touchdown. And McDaniel like thinks about it and thinks about it. He goes, okay, left hash. And then sure enough, next play, it's a touchdown. And it's like, everybody's, um, everybody's jumping. And like, yes, I'm going to watch all the, the, the stats and stuff. I want to see if Tyreek Hill is going to get over 2000 yards. I want to, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what their offensive design looks like now that they actually have a running game. The Jeff Wilson, the Jeff Wilson trade was very underrated in terms of all the firepower that happened on the trade deadline. Seems like it's paying off. So I'm really fascinated. Yeah. But to a man, he is just, he is like 1A, 1B with um, most exciting players, interesting players to watch for me over the second half. 
Yeah, I'm glad you chose him because I think that it, we would have looked dumb if neither of us <laughs> chose him. I was like, well, I talked about the Dolphins on Monday's pod, but he, he was like on my initial Selected list. So I the play sheet on so, him this week. Go go check that video yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I mean, he absolutely like has to be on this list. I mean, talk about one of the stories of the season. There's nothing I was more wrong about. Well, maybe the Bron- I thought the Broncos were going to be in the playoffs. So I was wrong about that. We'll, we'll get there. The Seahawks we'll get were going to suck. Yeah, I thought the Seahawks were going to suck. I was wrong about that. And I thought that this Dolphins thing was not going to work. I thought Tyreek Hill was going to be frustrated. Uh, I thought, you know, Tua was going to be okay, but not great. I thought they were going to win like eight games. And the numbers are honestly when I was when I was going through them this week, I was shocked at just the games he's played. It's not just like they've been kind of good; like they've produced like a top ten league wide uh, game in three of the games he's played. I mean, they are just going up and down the field on people uh, week in and week out. And I think Mike McDaniel deserves credit for that. Like you mentioned, the supporting cast deserves credit for that. But Tua deserves credit. I mean, it's not like you can just plug anyone in there and they're going to be good. We saw a little bit of it and, I, and it's not totally fair because it was small sample with Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson, but it certainly looked different uh, in those outings than it's looked with Tua in there. And so, uh, it's going to be really fun the final six weeks because I was looking at their schedule. They've got the Niners defense, the Bills defense, the Patriots defense, and the Jets defense in their final stretch of their schedule. I mean, those are all top five, top six defenses. In the last three, they've played the Lions, Bears, and Browns, which are arguably, you know, like three of the worst defenses but they right torn now. Them so up. You know, they like torn them up. It hasn't they haven't been just close. squeaked yeah. by bad defenses. You're right. Like they're 100%. They've been handling business. Yeah. Yeah, they scored over 30 in, in each of those. And it's felt, uh, it feels sometimes you watch it and be like, oh, they left some plays on the field. Like they could be getting 40s, 50s in some of these games. So yeah, he's absolutely got to be in there. He's been a fun story for the season. You know, sometimes there are surprises or these are there are these arguments we all have in August. And then you kind of see uh, what actually happens. And he's been one of those guys who has been pretty polarizing. People have had strong takes and there's no doubt he's been fantastic so far. So that's a good one. All right. I'm going to go a little bit on the other end of the spectrum here. I teased it with the Jets. I think Zach Wilson is very interesting going down the stretch. I mean, there's a few things that can happen here. One is he plays well. They make the playoffs. Jets fans are like, oh, this is the best year we've had in a long time. We don't have to worry about quarterback going into next year. That would be great for you, Jets fans. There's another scenario. There's one in which they don't make the playoffs. And everyone looks at it and knows the reason why they didn't make the playoffs is because the quarterback who currently ranks 30th out of 35 quarterbacks in EPA per pass play is the reason why. Now, he's had some moments. Don't get me wrong. I feel like with Wilson, when the ball comes out quickly and he knows where to go, it's good. The longer he holds onto the ball, the more nervous you get about something bad happening with Zach Wilson. And so uh, if that goes the other way and they don't make the playoffs, Then ownership, Joe Douglas, like they've got a serious decision on their hands. Do they look at it and say, well, Josh Allen, you know, it didn't happen for him until year three. And so Zach Wilson is sort of a talented, toolsy player. Let's give him some more time. We've invested a lot in him. Or do they say, like, we're tired of waiting as a franchise and we've got a great defense. We've got wide receivers. We'll have a good offensive line next year. We'll have good running backs. We have a good play caller. Like we need to make a move for someone like Derek Carr or whoever else might become available and just kind of pull the plug on the Zach Wilson experiment. I mean, you don't see that a lot 
in the NFL where after year two, a team's just like, sorry, we're moving on. Usually the quarterback gets more time, but it's kind of a unique situation there with all the pieces they have around him, the talent they have on the roster, as many first round picks as they've had in recent years. Like they kind of have an opportunity where if they feel like they can pounce at a quarterback who's going to be an upgrade, that they at least have to consider it. So Zach Wilson, I mean, talk about guys who have a lot like just on the line over the next two months. Uh, he, he's got to be at the top of the list. There. I mean, this week, especially, I mean, heading yes. into that second game against the Patriots, because the last game against the Patriots, which was only what, three weeks ago, three, three weeks ago, right? They, three weeks they played ago, the Patriots, yeah. they played the Bills, and then they had their bye. He was terrible. He was the reason they lost that game. Uh, the interceptions that he threw in that game. He was not giving them a chance. He was making terrible decisions. He was getting picked off on throwaway plays. I mean, it was terrible. So we know what Bill Belichick can do against young quarterbacks that are yes. uh, want to make poor decisions. He's very good at forcing forcing uh, rookie quarterbacks or young quarterbacks. He's not a rookie. <laughs> young quarterbacks to yeah. uh, see ghosts. Just ask Sam Darnold. And um, so this is a huge week. For him, I mean, just absolutely huge. Because if they win this game, that's going to put them in a really good spot to potentially make a wild card. If they lose this game, it's going to be much more difficult for them to get to Ooh. stay in that wild card race. So um, I totally agree. Um, it's they're going to be such an interesting franchise because we even saw last year. I mean, they were trying to make bigger moves. Like they were, like they weren't just on this like we're going to do this slow conservative build through the draft. Like no, they tried to get Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill right. picked the no income tax in Florida, right? <laughs> they tried. So they've been trying to make these really aggressive moves. So they're not a team that's willing, that I think is just going to like sit idly by if they think they can be in it to make a major, major move. The Josh Allen example is really interesting because, I mean, this is probably a bigger conversation about quarterback development. I think he's enough of a unicorn that he's probably going to end up getting GMs and coaches from other teams fired when they try to replicate exactly what That's the Bills true. did. I respect so much about the Bills' plan and the way that they systematically addressed all of the different pieces of their roster to make Josh Allen more successful. But a lot of it was just Josh Allen getting better and fixing some of the accuracy issues and the uh, you know fundamental technique issues. Just the, those type of things. Some of that wildness is still in him, right? We just talked about it, right? I mean, some of that stuff, you're just never going to coach out of him. Um, but if we're expecting like every first-round pick who is not very good for his first couple of years to just make this leap, just like Josh Allen did, uh, I think that would be, <laughs> I think that would be foolish for a lot of teams. Yeah, it, it's, you know what? It's a great point with Allen. And I was thinking the same thing, like uh, even going into the season, it felt like a lot, there were so many fan bases going, well, look at jo look at what happened with the Bills and Josh Allen. We had a couple more examples of it this year, not to the same degree, but like Tua is in his third year and we feel differently now. It's kind of a matter of circumstance and coaching. Jalen Hurts is another guy like, yeah, he, he showed more signs. Don't get me wrong. Like Jalen Hurts last year showed way more than Zach Wilson has this year and, and probably the same for Tua. But there have been a couple more examples of players in it's taking till year three where they kind of go off. I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, if I were like in the decision-making chair, I'm like, we're not basing any decisions on what happened with Josh Allen uh, in year three. I think that's going to be the exception. But uh, as we get a little more data, like, I don't know, maybe two years we're having this conversation and we're reeling off like eight quarterbacks. So it took until year three and then they got really good. I think most of the time we've seen it's happened in year two, though.
The common thread, though, through those three guys that we talked about is that a lot of it's institutional. It's not just that the player became differently and all of a sudden became like a different player, a better style player. It's because the investments that were made around him, the offense that was put in place for him. So if we're talking about that for, okay, let's do that for Zach Wilson. Okay, so then what else are you doing to that receiver room, uh, to your running your running back core? Like, what leap does Mike McFlor, Mike LaFleur take as a play caller next year? Those sorts of things. And how much of it is yeah. just like he needs to make better decisions when he has the ball in his hands? It's a, that's a great point, actually, because they've already done those things for yeah. him in year two. Like, like you said, I mean, I couldn't come up with a list of Oh, he, like no one's making the argument that Zach Wilson isn't in a good situation right now. You could have made that point with the other guys. I mean, Tua didn't have a a coach. He didn't have Tyreek Hill. Jalen Waddle was a rookie. Jalen Hurts didn't have AJ Brown uh, last year. It was the first year with the new play caller, and he and still they didn't have more. institutional so buy-in as into them as the starter right. as a rookie too. I mean, Tua was coming right. off of that massive injury. Jalen Hurts was like, "Yeah, you're going to be our backup here and see what happens later." You know, so yeah, uh, that's the other thing where like the Jets have said, you are our guy from the day that he yes. got here. And now we're through year three and going, oh, I don't, you know, still one of the worst yeah. QBs in the league. Let's see where this goes. So um, really, really yeah. interesting team. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you picked the Jets there. All right. Very good. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with the mailbag. Start the NFL week off right with a no sweat, same game parlay every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or already have an account. Every Thursday night, you'll get free bets back if your NFL same-game parlay doesn't hit. Same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. Let's see. I like the Packers. Minus three in this game against the Titans. I kind of like the under. I like that Titans rush defense. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And how about Alan Lazard? Anytime touchdown. He's got five touchdowns on the season. Everyone's talking about Christian Watson. They come back, bam, Alan Lazard with a touchdown. Build your own or choose from one of the popular SGPs pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no-sweat, same-game parlay. And with FanDuel's new live same-game parlays, you can continue building SGPs even after the game has started. Just sign up with promo code RINGERNFL if you don't already have an account. That's promo code RINGERNFL to get free bets back if your SGP doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states, 3 plus legs, minimum $1 bet required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 7 days after receipt. Max free bet $5. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, now we get to the mailbag. A reminder, you can email us at the mailbag at gmail.com or just tweet at me if you want. I mean, listen, you don't want to be on Twitter, probably. I don't want to be on Twitter, so if you want to email, uh, that'll be a lot easier, but whatever is easiest for you. All right, I knew I had to use this first one because we've got Lindsay on. This is from Dilip says, what are the options for new Broncos ownership? This situation is a dumpster fire. And partly not their making, Coach GM, years of losing, and partly their making, extending Russell Wilson. Can they, would they, buy Russell Wilson out, fire George Payton, which uh, he thinks is ill-advised, fire Hackett, elevate the defensive coordinator, Evero, burn the whole thing down? It's depressing, he said. So uh, I wanted to get your take on it. Just the one thing I'll say with Wilson, uh, that's not happening. I mean, he got 124. There is no buyout option. Yeah, it would be it would be a it would have been like he signed a one year one hundred and twenty four million dollar deal uh, with the Broncos because that's what he got guaranteed at signing. So he's not going anywhere. So we can get that out of the way. But what do you think about the uh, the other questions there uh, as someone who's plugged into Denver? Yeah, it's depressing is the right word. And I think um, and I've been you know every time I'm out at things for my kids' school or you know running with my friends or whatever, <laughs> there is a lot of discussion about just like, oh, just it's such this letdown because it's been really depressing around here for a while. And, you know, it's been a, the Broncos playoff drought now, I think is uh, second now only or in the AFC behind only the Jets, I believe right now. I mean, it's wow. like it's 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 rough times. Right. And it's just been quarterback after quarterback. And, you know, fans are frustrated. And what's been so weird about this season is that their defense is so good. And oh my gosh. So you would say, like, you would think like they have to be winning some of these games. If they could just score like 17 points a game, they'd be right in the playoff hunt and they can't get there. You know, it's 10 points, you know, it's 10 points against the Titans last week. I mean, they've been struggling to get to multiple touchdowns a game. And that part has been really, really frustrating because Russell Wilson was supposed to solve that problem, was supposed to make this a competent, if not explosive offense. And we're 
barely, I, mean, we're, I don't think it's in the competent range. Um, you mentioned Nathaniel Hackett earlier saying, you know, somebody's got the win, got to win this game against the Raiders. I mean, his Wednesday press conference this week was like just full of like doom and gloom kind of stuff. Somebody, I think somebody <laughs> asked him like, what's your offensive identity? He said, well, it's not good. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> No, no, no bleep, dude. Like we, we've all been watching. We can see that. So the problem is, is like, okay, there is no off ramp for Wilson. They are committed that Russell Wilson is going to be their quarterback through at least 2024. There is no out in this deal that he has signed until 2024. His 2023 and 2024 salaries are already guaranteed. The way they finagled the cap in it isn't terrible. I mean, he's not, they're not committing an undue amount um, of money of their cap next year and in 2024. I think it's a $22 million cap at next year, $25 million in 2024. So it shouldn't preclude them from spending other places. So I think it comes to coaching. Um, George Payton, the general manager, has a ton of goodwill in that building still, um, especially, I think, for the way that he's uh, drafted defensively. I think we can still go back in hindsight and talk about the 2021 draft, when they were sitting there with a top 10 pick, did not take a quarterback. They took Patrick Sertan, who is going to be, he should be an all pro this year. I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, he is awesome. Um, It was a little bit easier to stomach when Justin Fields was bad. Now that Justin Fields is going, oh, Justin Fields, like there's that guy. That is going to be hard because if Justin Fields becomes a really, really great quarterback in the NFL, and that's not, that's not Sertan's fault, right? Like, that he's not a quarterback, but it's just when we're talking about positional value and the way that they're, who they're getting and the way that they're, you're spending your money and all that sort of stuff. They just have to figure out a way to fix this offense. Um, I think a lot of this is going to be on Russell Wilson, who is exactly the same player in Denver that he was in Seattle, the same shortcomings, the same strengths, um, just less athletic. And it is going to be on him to figure out a way to change his game to evolve as a quarterback, to evolve as a decision maker, to get his ego in check in a way that like he will do something different um, and accept some sort of different sort of offense than maybe he envisions himself running. And I thought about putting him in the top half of this podcast when we're guy talking about the most interesting guys, the guys that have the most at stake, but I knew we'd talk about him here. Because one of the things that you posed to me when we were pre-show planning here was like, you know, the guys who could change their legacies. Russell Wilson has been talking about his legacy forever, but he's absolutely been doing it since the day that he came to Denver, right? He talked about wanting to play another 10 years. He talked about wanting to win multiple Super Bowls. So a lot of this is on him now. But the the changes that the Broncos have to make now, I don't think they want to fire Nathaniel Hackett after a year. They've been through so many head coaches here. They don't want to have to do that again. But it is clearly not working. Um, Offensively, right? They don't have an identity. They're not maximizing their quarterback at all. And part of that is the quarterback himself. They're very injured offensively, on defense too. But like, they're very injured. That's one thing. But that's probably the piece that is going to change. It probably has to change. Yeah. I mean, like you said, they don't have a ton of options. I mean, if you would have told me they would have got this defense with Russell Wilson before the year, I would have said we're talking about them as Super Bowl contenders. I mean, it's a top five defense. Even, you know, they traded Bradley Chubb, and I was like, what's it going to look like? And they played great last week, and we'll see if they can sustain that. But it's, you're not, yeah, you're not getting rid of Wilson. And like you mentioned, the GM, you're probably keeping. And so then it comes down to the coach. When when we were talking about Sean Payton on the Monday show on this feed, I was kind of like, that could be interesting. You know, Sean Payton 
in Denver, but then I'm, they already traded their first round pick for Russell Wilson. So you're going to have to trade for Sean Payton. So I wouldn't yeah. even think that he would be an option. So it gets tricky. I mean, I would think they would look for, you know, they're probably going to make a coaching change unless it's something like, all right, Nathaniel Hackett brings in offensive coordinator X and this person's going to call the plays and, you know, Hackett's just going to focus on whatever if they don't want to make a head coaching change. But, uh, you know, one and done certainly would not surprise me. And then you just have to find a, a head coach who you feel like can fix it. But like you mentioned, a lot of it, it feels like is on Russell Wilson. I mean, he, he's playing poorly. I couldn't believe his athleticism. Like, it looks like it doesn't exist now. Two years ago, he ran for over 500 yards. Like, it wasn't that long ago. So, uh, I don't know if there's anything about him uh, that's going to change, that that can change. You're kind of just hoping for the best-case scenario. And I will say... Defense can be volatile year to year, but if you look at their roster, I mean, they're bringing back most of their defense next year. I was just looking at their free agents, and the only guys who have played more than 50% of the snaps on defense this year who are free agents are Kareem Jackson, Draymond Jones, and Alex Singleton. So it's like most of your core is still going to be back. And then, you know, Jiro Evero, that, that's an interesting sort of, I don't know if Jenga piece is the right word, but he's done a, a fantastic job for them. Does he get yeah, head coaching opportunities? He's getting onto that short list. It is the time of year where all the national yeah. writers are putting out their lists of uh, guys that should be interviewed. Yeah. Uh, I think Tom Pelissero, NFL Media, put his out today and Jiro Evero was on it. And I know there's a lot of people in Denver now who are getting nervous and like, this guy's going to get another, he's going to get a head coaching job. We should just keep him, elevate him now, replace him. And like, he's been great. And I remember talking to a lot of folks around the Rams last year who love this guy. Players love him. So that, that might be tempting, but like, does that fix the offense? What is your plan to fix the offense? So I, that would, I don't yeah. know if that's the answer. That would be an interesting option if he was, if they, you know, talk to him and he's like, Hey, I know uh, this offensive coach who's fantastic who could come in and fix this thing and then they elevate him and you keep the same defense in place I mean it seems like the the team plays hard for him and they're certainly very well coached I mean head coach is a different uh, animal than defensive coordinator but that would be interesting too so those are the options uh sorry Dalip and any other uh, Broncos fans yeah, there's not a ton of the, I would say the one other potential I mean it's not really an option because I think we know that change is coming but the the idea of this question, right, was that what is new ownership going to do? What happens in that stadium over the next month is going to be really, really telling from like a hearing people being upset, seeing mm. empty seats. The Broncos, I think, have the longest sellout streak or one of the longest sellout streaks. I mean, it goes back decades and decades. But if people are not showing up, if they're speaking with their dollars, right, and with their feet, I think, uh, you know, if they're they're not showing up for games. If there's 10,000 empty seats in December, new ownership is going to listen to that. And they are going to hear that. Yeah. They're going to see that. They're going to say, this is what we spent $4.6 billion on right now. And that, I think, could help actually spur some sort of change. Broncos fans, I gave them my MVP first month of the season. I mean, I love, they were just Five, all over it four, from the get-go at how screwed up the the coaching staff, the game management was. I loved what they were doing there. I loved the uh, crowd shot. So good job by them. Hopefully, hopefully better times ahead, but no guarantee. All right, second question. Maxwell asks, hey guys, what would be your dark horse Super Bowl pick? He says, take away the top three, no Chiefs, Bills, or Eagles. Who did you have for 
uh, this one? Did you have a team in mind as a sleeper Super Bowl pick, or do you want me to go first? Yeah, no, I mean, I guess it's actually kind of two teams that we've already talked about a little bit today on the first half of the podcast. Um, I'm going to go either the Ravens or the Dolphins. I think these are two really well-built teams with uh, really good quarterbacks. They're really well-coached. Um, and if you catch, I mean, I think it's going to be really hard to knock off the Chiefs at, at Arrowhead if the AFC Championship game is there. I, I will pick the Chiefs in all of those matchups. Something weird happens early in the playoffs. You get one of those weird uh, Patrick Mahomes games where he throws an interception late, you know, like in the, the like in the AFC Championship game last year. Right. You know, maybe one of these other AFC teams could sneak in there if the Bills do not get out of this lull. Um, I think it's weird that I picked two AFC teams because the NFC is wide open, right? I think the NFC is uh, a lot. You could pick almost any NFC team in the playoff field and make a case for them. But I'm going to be really interested to watch a couple of just that next tier down of AFC teams if one of those teams with a really good quarterback or explosive overall offense can somehow sneak in there. Yeah, Maxwell said those three teams, the Chief, other than the Chiefs, Bills, and Eagles. So I wrote down 49ers, but I don't really think that counts as a sleeper. I mean, yeah, if they you look were like the, odds, the second best odds, right? Yeah, they're right there. So I just wanted to mention because uh, he didn't mention those in his three. Uh, how about the Cincinnati Bengals? I feel like they're getting slept on a little bit. I mean, if you look at th- there are three teams that are top 10 in offensive and defensive DVOA right now, and it's the Bengals, the Bills, and the Eagles. Like they, They've had a pretty balanced team. They've sort of weathered the storm early on where it was like, all right, Super Bowl hangover. They weathered that. Jamar Chase has been injured, but he is, I think, supposed to come back maybe uh, in a couple weeks. I think week 12 was the report. So now I still like Burrow. I still believe in Burrow. Maybe the offensive line is going to improve as they play more snaps together. You get Chase back. I I just like the teams that have the offensive firepower. I mean, that's why the Dolphins uh, should be mentioned. And so I would put the Bengals on on that list. And they're well coached defensively. You know, they lost uh, uh, Chidobe Awuzie for the year with an injury at corner. So that one's going to hurt. But they are well coached. They can come up with different game plans based on the opponent. So I thought I would give the Bengals some love. They are are not scared of the Chiefs, too. They're not scared of the Chiefs. There you go. Yeah, they did it last year. We get they, to see I, that game. Sometimes... They play again in a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, they have. That's the one thing. They have. I said the Ravens have the easiest schedule based on the betting markets. The Bengals have the hardest remaining schedule in the NFL. So to get in, I think right now they're kind of like a 50-50 proposition to uh, get into the playoffs. But if they get in, I think they can be dangerous. All right. Last one. Garrett asks, what's more likely, the AFC East getting three teams in the playoffs or the NFC East getting three teams in the playoffs? What do you think? I mean, I think the AFC East teams are better. I'm still... So to get three NFC East teams, right? So we would get Eagles, Cowboys... Well, God, the numbers, but like... Yeah. (laughs) The numbers with the Giants, they were so strong. I mean, they won so many unlikely games in the first half that just like the numbers seem to be working in their favor. I just have a hard time like really believing that all three of those teams are good enough to get in. So, okay. So what's more likely? All right. You're the numbers guy. You're the odds guy. You go first. Yeah. Here, let me give you, let me give you some of the percentages and then you decide. Cause I, I just looked this up yeah. right before. So the NFC East per football outsiders, the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants all have over a 70% chance to get in. And uh, the AFC East, the Bills, Dolphins and Jets all have over a 70% chance to get in. And then you throw in the Patriots who are at 44% 
to get in. So uh, a couple of funny, inter- the most interesting thing there is the Jets. Yeah. Their kind of percentages are very different with the betting markets and football outsiders. Like if you like the metrics and the advanced stats, you're feeling good as a Jets fan. If you look at does the public or, you know, whatever really believe in this team, the answer is no. They're more, it's 52%. So it's like yeah. a 50-50 uh, chance there. And the Giants are different because it's what you mentioned. The Giants, whether you believe in them or not, they built up just this huge cushion where there's seven and two, where like you would, you know, they can kind of go 500 the rest of the way and still be fine. Like it would make it, it would take a major collapse for them uh, not to get in, but it, it, it's not unheard of. And then the Cowboys are sort of a wild card where, as always, it feels like high variance. They could get to the Super Bowl or they could be out of the playoffs. And we're talking about Sean Payton going to Dallas on like January 31st or something. So that that's kind of, feel- it, it's. I feel like yeah, this week is going to determine a lot of this. Yeah, you get like, the Patriots. Yeah. But the, the Patriots-Jets game is going to, because look, the Jets win this game, it's going to flip a lot of those percentages, right? I mean, I think that the numbers yeah. will change a lot after this week. And I think Cowboys-Vikings this week, too, will also, I think, change, you know, determine the way I think I feel about the Cowboys after they lost last yeah. week to the Packers. And this is another pretty tough game. So uh, I guess just... I'm just going to think about like percentages and numbers wise. I'll say it's most likely the NFC East. I don't feel great about it though. Like I think I'd rather see the three AFC East teams in there than maybe getting all three of those NFC teams in the field. But um, look, numbers are numbers, right? Stats don't lie. People lie. Betting markets lie. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they, they both really, it, it could happen in both the divisions. I mean, when we did yeah. our uh, thing on the ringer.com, I'm thinking about it now. I had the Patriots getting in. So that was three in the AFC East because I had the Dolphins and Bills and I had all three NFC East teams. So I think there's like, there's a good chance that both of them get three in. Uh, I'm with you though. I would lean towards the NFC East just because I am a believer that the Cowboys are a really good team and I don't think they're going to totally uh, choke down the stretch and the Giants built up that lead and the Eagles are, you know, they they have one loss. So I, I don't know if they lost the rest of their games. I guess they wouldn't get in, but they're kind of off the board with FanDuel where you can't even bet on them making the playoffs because they're pretty much a lock even though they haven't clinched. So we're on the same page there. All right, that'll do it. For this episode of The Scramble, we're going to take next week off. It's Thanksgiving, so everyone have a great uh, Thanksgiving. We're not going to have a podcast for you on Thursday, but of course, the rest of the feed will be filled up. Thank you to Lindsey Jones for joining me. Thank you to Mike Wargon for producing additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. Stay tuned for the Ringer NFL preview show on this feed on Friday. And I'll be back Monday night with Ben Solak with Extra Point Taken. Talk to everyone next week. 